I'm Brandon Reed, and you're listening to Real Estate for the Rest of Us, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the world of real estate investing. I want to cut through all the industry jargon and instead serve up actionable and unintimidating information that you can use in your own real estate journey. I interview real estate professionals, and we talk about their real-life experiences. It's real simple. Now let's get into the show. In today's episode, I talk with Mike Stewart. Mike is a veteran of the real estate industry, and over the last 30 years, he's been involved in a variety of disciplines, including building homes, commercial development, single and multifamily, residential investing, and commercial investing. What we discuss today primarily is his experience as a licensed commercial real estate broker. As a broker, he works with his clients to evaluate the viability of a commercial investment calculate the profit margins and ROI, as well as find the right kind of financing for each specific person and situation. There's a lot to consider when investing in commercial real estate, and having someone on your team who has the industry knowledge and experience can be an invaluable asset. In this episode, you'll hear Mike break down how exactly he works with his clients to make sure that the property they're investing in is one that will be a cash-flowing, valuable asset that appreciates strongly for years to come. I hope that in this interview, you find practical insights that you can learn from or directly apply as you continue on your own journey in real estate. And now here's my conversation with Mike. All right, guys. Um, excited about tonight. We have Mike Stewart with us. Um, how are you today, Mike? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Brandon? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Really excited to have you uh, on the show. We've known each other for a very long time. I haven't talked in a long time, but um, and we didn't talk about this as we were even just chatting before the episode, but I played ball, played baseball with your son a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so we go, we go back. So that's a lot of fun. And, um, I'm really glad to have you on and hear from, hear from you. I know you have a lot of experience and insight to share. So I'm really excited. Um, let me, let me get going here with, um, with just the first question of kind of how long Mike, have you been in real estate? Um, just in general and any facet of real estate, how long have you been doing it and what kind of first drew you to it? What first got you involved? Well, um, I owned and I have owned and operated uh, several different type of companies. Um, I was in the electrical contracting business for a long time in Houston, um, and had a fairly large company there. And um, you know, while I owned that company, I started looking at real estate options and things that uh, would help me build some financial assets for my family. Um, and so I've been probably purchasing real estate. Of some type, whether it be residential, multifamily, commercial, industrial, um, for probably 30 years plus. Um, I also have an extensive background in construction. Once I sold my electrical company, I started doing uh, real estate development. And so, therefore, going out and purchasing land sometimes and building, you know, whatever type of commercial property or residential property it might be. Um, And then uh, in 2007, um, I decided that um, I wasn't going to be building anymore. It... uh, so I just kind of wanted to kind of help share my experience level with other people and help other people and 
you know, I started doing commercial, uh, became a commercial real estate broker full time in 2007. And I'm still actively helping certain, you know, clientele that I have continue to uh, lease their properties um, and help them investors buy or purchase, you know, additional properties um, as well as myself. So um, that's kind of how I got started. Awesome. So you, um, right now you're a commercial, uh, broker and that's what you're doing primarily. Do you also uh, invest for yourself? Or are you still buying properties or are you just helping other people buy properties? Uh, when I see one that comes around that, uh, is, you know, interesting enough and looks good enough for me, uh, I'm constantly looking all the time. Cool. Yeah. Uh, you kind of got to feel the market, see what's going on. The market has swings up and down. Um, but, uh, yes, if I see a property that is uh, available out there, then I will purchase it if it That's awesome. suits all the criteria. Yeah, sure. So, and it sounds like most, it sounds like most of your experience is, is commercial. Have you, have you ever invested in residential or do you have any experience? I mean, have you ever sold residential or anything? Yes, I've okay. invested in residential. I've uh, owned and operated multifamily properties as well. Oh, that's right. You said that. Okay. And then I have, you know, sold residential properties uh, for other people and for myself. Um, but I, I kind of, you know, kind of steered after a certain amount of years towards commercial. It just, uh, with my construction background, uh, it was just more attractive and appealing to me. Uh, I felt like there was bigger gains possibly out there. And I just kind of started, you know, like everyone else, I tell everyone, you know, when you get started, think within your box that you can afford to get started in. I think that's a lot of problems that people want to jump out there and mm -hmm. jump into a, you know, a million dollar or multi-million dollar property, start small. And then as time goes on, trade that property up to get a bigger property and so on and so on, unless you have an unlimited, you know, bankroll or checkbook that you can afford to, you know, go out and buy whatever you want, which most well, people are not in that situation. That's, that's, that's what I have. I have unlimited money, Mike. So, <laughs> oh, man. Well, you're, the, you're the right kind of client. That, that's, that right. <laughs> that's funny. Um, so that kind of does lead me into my, into my next question is um, residential and commercial. I mean, they're both, they're both real estate. There are similarities, but there are also um, a lot of differences, obviously. So what do you, what do you find are in your experience with both, what are kind of the primary differentiators between uh, commercial and residential that make kind of commercial stand out and something that you wanted to get more involved in? Um, you know, they're like you said, they both are, you know, real estate, you know, mm -hmm. assets. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I recommend it, first thing if people can't afford buy your own house if you can. I mean, that'll be your number one investment because mm. you're building an asset for your family and yourself, um, whatever your situation may be. And that's a very good start. Mm -hmm. um, but there is, you know, commercial is kind of a unique product. Um, it's, it has, you know, it can be challenging in some areas and it, it's a little more complicated in my opinion. Um, but um I think a lot of times people are just scared of it because they just don't understand or haven't been around it long enough to understand um, what all the complexities are. They're really, it's not as hard as people try to make it. Um, but I recommend that you hire a professional uh, because if you hire a 
a licensed commercial broker uh, like myself, typically you you don't have to pay them. The seller pays for that half of the commission or whatever. Okay. Um, there is some unique situations where that doesn't happen, but most of the time that's the way it works. But you want to make sure that person has obviously he or, or she has a good solid background with a great reputation. Um, and you want to maybe interview several and see what you think and get some mm-hmm. uh, references on those people. Uh, sure. Because, you know, commercial uh, properties, um, I've sold, I've represented a lot of banks in the past that had commercial foreclosures back in the 2009, 10, all the way through 13, 14. There was a, that's back in the big, you know, recession time. And there was a lot of foreclosure properties, not just residential, but as well commercial. And so I represented a lot of banks and helped them move those assets and sold a, a lot of listings for them, I mean, across the, the you know, several states. So um, it, it, commercial is just a little more, um, you just need to be aware of there's just a few few more things. I mean, it's no different than, okay, when you buy a house, you're going to go out. First thing you want to do is inspect the house, right? You want to take mm-hmm. it, go out and take a look at it, whether it be you and your wife or whoever. Uh, but, you know, you also um, – you know, with commercial, you're going to have some different aspects that are a little more uh, complex, like um, such as, you know, banks most of the time require you to have an environmental survey done on the property, which means okay. not not just a regular survey. You will we'll have to get that as well. Uh, and there's multiple different types of surveys that you can get depending on what the bank requires. Um, but also an environmental survey, which is the banks like to see that on commercial because they want to make sure that they'll do a uh, research, not just for that property, but properties within a certain mile radius to make sure that there hasn't been uh, some kind of gas spill or chemical spill or something that's been tagged as an environmentally hazard property. That one that you're looking at buying versus also the ones in the surrounding area from it. And that if there was, that it was cleaned up properly and it met and passed all state, you know, um, environmental standards um, mm-hmm. and, and received a, basically a clean bill of health and uh, dealt with those on numerous account, uh, basis. And um, so those can get a little complicated, but, you know, people kind of get excited and, and, and have a tendency to freak out about it. But it's, it's really um, it's, it's not as bad. And, and if it is, then that's you have that option to pull out of the contract. Sure, and sure. so just like a residential contract, you have dates and deadlines that are in the contract that you have to abide and adhere to. And so as those dates come, you want to make sure that you stay in compliance with those dates so that you don't let your earnest money be at risk. Right, and, right. You know, I've, I've seen uh, almost every aspect that you can imagine uh, uh, where, you know, people made mistakes with that. And, sure. you know, that's why it's good to hire a professional and one that puts out a date and deadline chart which sure. is what I, I like to do for my customers because looking at a contract can kind of be confusing to people. And so after the contract, we go under contract on a property, whether it's residential or commercial, I like to do a complete dates and deadlines separate sheet that says, okay, okay. It's, kind, it's kind of like a you know checklist. It says, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. make sure. And then I'm constantly calling my clients and saying, hey, you know, we got to get the survey ordered or we got to get our environmental inspection done or we got to get the regular inspection done. And that's something that else that's a little bit different with commercial versus residential is that 
you know, when you're looking at getting inspections done on a commercial property, um, typically it's, you know, most people, I do it different. Some people don't, but for the most part, you can, on a residential inspection, you can usually find an inspector that kind of does all the inspections like HVAC, mechanical, electrical, plumbing, you know, they are a little bit versed in most things. Um, and, but with commercial, you know, I have a extensive background in construction. So I choose to bring in people for specific things like structurally. If I don't, if I see something that concerns me, then I'll bring a structural engineer in or, um, you know, or I may say, Hey, I'd like to have a mechanical guy come and check all, uh, the plumbing and I can check the electrical I'm a master electrician as well. But, um, you know, a lot of people aren't, but so you may find that in commercial, you may need a little bit more expertise in certain areas instead of just trying to lump it all into one inspection. Um, and, and there is some people out there that are highly qualified that can offer that, but, uh, or they may come and say, Hey, you know, I, this is a little bit above my pay grade, so maybe you ought to look at, I've seen something here with the roof system or the structure mm-hmm. of the building or whatever it may be that you might want to contact a, a, a structural engineer or a, a master electrician or a HVAC mechanical you know, licensed person to come sure. check out your, you know, all that. And so, but, so it gets a little more in depth, I would, I would say. Yeah. Um, in that in that sense but um also when when you talk about residential you, you know there's single family then there's multifamily so when you start looking at investment properties you know even even in the state of Colorado which is where I'm currently located now um multifamily is considered a commercial product and so it's an investment commercial investment you know, product because you have multiple sources of income that, that come in with a, you know, a multifamily commercial that, property. That's interesting. Is that over a certain number of units or is that if it's more than one, it's commercial? Uh, it's pretty much, you know, if it's a, you know, I don't know, most banks, if they look at it as if you have more than one, then it becomes an investment, you know, property because you're hmm. getting a return on it. Right. Now, some people will buy a duplex and live in one unit and lease out mm-hmm. the other. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, with commercial, there's a whole different broad spectrum of type of different type of loans that you can, uh, that are available, I should say, for the people that are investing. A lot of times I represent people that said, hey, I, I own a company. I'd like to use maybe 50% of the building and lease out the other 50% and let them pay for my building. (laughs) Right. And I'm like, Hey, that's smart. You know, I Mm -hmm. I highly recommend that if you can swing that and afford it. Uh, There's a thing out there called SBA, small business administration loan. That is a very good product uh, that as long as you're occupying 51% of the building, then you're able to qualify to, if you meet all their qualifications and, you know, standards and go through their uh, qualification process and are approved, uh, you know, they offer a very nice product, which is a lot less money down, sometimes as low as 10, 10 to 15% down versus on a conventional loan, depending on, uh, you know, the individual or groups, uh, investment groups, financial strength, uh, you're looking at usually a 25 to 30% down uh, for a conventional loan for commercial. And okay. with, you know, with residential, it's a little different. If it's a single unit, 
then you can get in sometimes with a lot less down. But right. if you start getting into the investment type properties, that's how the most banks look at that. And they say, okay, we sure. want at least 25% down or 30% depending on the financial strength of the, the person that's applying for the loan. Yeah. So, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about uh, more about the, on the commercial side, the, um, the financial aspect, how to, how to get financed for a commercial property. Cause I'm super, super clueless when it comes to that. So if you, um, if you're looking to, if you're working with a client who is uh, interested in buying a, a commercial property, um, what, what are some of the things that they as buyers need to consider before doing that? Maybe they have a sum of money and they say, oh, we could go buy maybe, you know, maybe one, two or three uh, uh, single family investment homes, or we could buy this bigger manufacturing building. Um, and they've kind of gotten the advice they've needed on the residential side. And they come to you and ask the question, well, what, what are some financial considerations we need to be um, thinking about when, when we're looking at a commercial property that'd be different? Um, what kind of loan options are available? You had started to talk about some of that, but uh, down payment discrepancy between residential commercial, just what are the financial considerations someone would need to think through? Sure. Uh, well, you know, I like, I like multi-tenant properties, okay, uh, and, okay, because you know commercial, industrial, uh, because you know you depending on the size of the property or whatnot, um, you have multiple tenants, and if you stagger your leases where the leases all don't expire at the same time, then you, you know, you you're not constantly you know trying to fill you know however many spaces, but maybe one comes up, and then six months later or a year later another one comes up, and obviously if they're good tenants, you want to try to renew those. But I find that those are very good investment properties, um, and you know it's not as um, I've done both. I've done residential single family homes and leased those out. I've done multifamily. I've owned multifamily homes and leased those out, uh, apartments. Um, and I just find to me, it's just, I think it's a lot easier and a lot simpler. And I like the product better. And it, to me, it just produces better income and it builds. Well, surely better. the tenants stay longer, right? Is that is that true? Typically, or? yeah. Three to five okay. years is what we're oh, okay. usually looking for on a, on a, a commercial tenant. Uh, as the market gets hot and there's less and less spaces available, which is kind of where we've been the last couple of years and the rates tend to go up a little more, uh, which can happen too in residential. But you typically, uh, as a landlord, it becomes a landlord market at that time. And so you can say, hey, I don't, you know, I don't want to be looking for a tenant every year. I want, I want at least a three-year minimum or a five-year minimum lease. Uh, and you build escalations into those leases sure. that, that you know, escalate you know, annually. But the, you know, to me, uh, with as far as when you first – if you decide, I want to go buy a – you know, industrial building that has eight tenants or 10 tenants or whatever it might be. I always tell people, I say, well, let's look at your financial situation first and let's determine, let's start from there and determine what size property you should be looking at. That's not going to, you know, be a financial strain for you because right. you also have to realize that from time to time you are going to lose a tenant or something, you know, you're going to have some turnover. So mm -hmm. you have to factor those, those th items in as well. But that's where I typically start with people and I make sure that I'm trying to match the right property with the right person. And, um, I, I think that's extremely important and, um, I, I highly recommend that gets done. And then from there, once you identify, okay, I want to buy, 
I'll just say a number, $500,000 piece of property. Um, so, you know, you're talking, you know, if someone puts 20% down, that's a hundred thousand uh, dollars. So mm -hmm, that's a substantial mm -hmm. down, that's a substantial down payment. And, you know, so you, but you've already recognized this person has said, Hey, I've got this much to put down and I it will comfortably and it will, you know, strap me. Right. Uh, well, then the next thing you got to do is look at the, the current condition of the property and you need to go out and take a look at it. And with my construction background, it's helpful because I can guide people in that right direction and kind of look at it with them and say, Hey, this would be going to be a great property. You know, it doesn't have that much that needs to be. There's a few deferred maintenance issues, but, you know, look at your mechanical systems, your electrical system, what needs to be upgraded, what improvements need to be done so that you, there's even products out there where you can put that into your, incorporate that into your loan as well. And so that you're not coming out all that money in addition to your down payment. So banks, there's loan programs out there that they will allow you to do that as well. Okay. So to me, that's a very helpful tool. If you have the right person that's representing you, go out with you and to help determine these things. Uh, those are key aspects that you need to look at. And as well as what what I re highly recommend and what I do for my clients is I say, okay, let's look at this piece of property. We found a, a building that you like and we think is a good match. Well, let's sit down and do a cost you know, analysis approach, which means typically when appraisals are done on commercial, you could spend anywhere from $3,000 to $5,000 for a commercial appraisal. And the banks, the, whoever okay. the lending institution is, is going to require that they have an approved vendor's list of who they will approve to do the appraisals. And the bank picks that appraiser, uh, and they go out and do an appraisal. And they'll do it from an income approach. If it's an income investment property, they'll do it oh, okay. from also a, a market value approach and a replacement cost approach. Oh, so those things, those things feel unique to commercial, right? Are they? That, that, they are pretty much. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, a single family home is not an, you know, unless you're planning on reading it out right away, it's a pretty simple, uh, you know, approach. Sure. Yes, they would still, they would still come up with an income approach if you plan it on, up front on that being a lease okay. property. Okay. But, um, uh, you know, the difference is a, a residential appraisal could usually cost three to $500. Right. Because right. uh, it's, they usually, you know, don't cost as much. They're not as extensive than the, you know, as a right. commercial appraisal. Um, and then, you know, so I try to sit down once we determine, okay, this is the right property, the right match. We've, we've identified, here's the items that we're going to have to address up front with deferred maintenance. Um, and I tell people don't go into a property thinking, well, I'll fix that down the road because the better, condition that you keep the property, then the more better quality of tenants you typically can get and the higher lease rates that you can, uh, you can get for your property. Um, and there's, there's people with different philosophies that just, you know, they're going to go in, they're going to buy a piece of property and they're just going to put as little as they can into it. And they're just bleeding the, the money out as, you know, but I, eventually those, those, deferred maintenance issues tend to raise their head. It's maybe not such an right. appropriate time. <laughs> yeah. So, and it can, they can get, it can kind of sneak up on you. So anyway, once we've done the cost value approach, I usually run a spreadsheet, put together a spreadsheet for the, my investor or client and the bank wants to see that as well. 
Most of the time as well, banks are looking at if you're buying a multi-tenant property, they want to see that it has at least 70 to 75% occupancy, current occupancy with okay. good leases. Good leases intact, not, you know, six-month leases or a widespread of range of rates, you know, lease rates going on. They want to see that there's a good, you know, solid track record. Um, and they take that information that I put on a spreadsheet and they plug it into their system and they look at the individual's strength and financially and then they determine, you know, where, what they're willing to do and how much they're going to require for that individual to, you know, put down as a down payment and how much they will allow you. Cause most, you know, most banks or lending institutions will say, well, we're only going to loan up to 75 or 80, 80% loan to value or whatever. So obviously, you know, price is a concern. You need to make sure that you're not overpaying for a property. Um, and in times like right now, the market's been kind of hot. So properties are, you know, the values have gone up and they're, they're, they're getting close to their asking price most of the time, you know, that can be cyclical, you know, a year from now, you know, depending on what the economy's doing, that obviously can have a reverse effect on the real estate market as well. So, um, but then I recommend that from that point, we do a sales comparison approach, which is we go when we find like similar properties, um, and we do that have sold within the last 12 to 14 months in that same city or area. And we find out what those sales comparison prices are. And we make, we make sure that we're not overpaying for a piece of property. Um, so, and then the income approach, you're going to figure out what the percentage of return is. We call it the cap rate or return on investment, annual return on investment that you're going to receive. And, you know, the bank looks at all of this information, plus then they get a professional licensed appraiser to do their research. And then they compare all these, this information and they determine whether or not they're willing to take the risk to loan on this particular property. Okay. So that you had mentioned something there that I was specifically curious about and that's cap rate. It's something I hear consistently come up with, with commercial investments. Um, you don't have to go all the way into the nitty gritty of it, but what I just hear it come up so often, what is it and how is it used um, to, yeah, to invest? Well, it, it, it's a, it's a tool basically that you, it's a multiplier uh, we use uh, to determine our formula that we use. I should say it'd be more appropriate uh, to determine what the actual annual return percentage wise of return on the investment that you make annually. Um, And so, and then what I typically do when I run a spreadsheet for my clients is I I forecast it out for, you know, four or five years, because like I said, lease rates are typically you have escalations on those and, you know, it depends on what state you're in or what the market's like. You know, in our state, they're usually three to 5% increases um, on, on tenant leases rate tenant lease rates that that annually go up. Um, And so typically what you do is you take pretty simple calculation. You just take the total amount of income uh, for that property based on all the income that's paid in on the leases annually. The property taxes and insurance are included, but you take that 
and plus the income, you know, you deduct the insurance and the property taxes off of that income, and then you divide that out to come up with your cap rate, and it'll tell okay. you what the return on that investment is. So, oh, interesting. Um, okay, so it's just yeah, it's um, it's a formula to determine um, it, is it a good investment? Like, are you going to get your how much you're running? You're going to get back, and how quickly? That's correct. Okay. And tip, you know. Commercial, um, it, it, like I said, it is a little bit different product, but uh, to me, um, I, I just like that model. I, it was, it's works for me, and, and I have a lot of clients that as well like it. It's, um, But it's not for everyone. I mean, a lot of people that are just starting out, maybe they have enough money to buy a duplex or – a single family home that maybe they're just going to be their starter home. But sure. yet, you know, within a year or two years or whatever, things are going well for them. And then they turn around and they sell that property or keep it and rent it out and go buy another property. Um, and that's how they start acquiring assets, you know, and if they like the residential model, that's fine. Um, I, what I have found from experience, my experience in the past, and I have owned and, and, and leased and sold quite a few residential properties, is that uh, tenants seem to be a little harder on that product uh, okay. from a damage yep. standpoint. And so it's not their home, so they're not really right. going to worry about keeping it up like you would if you were living in it um and with commercial properties they're a little more durable a little more structurally sound um you know yes they can put a hole in the sheetrock but that's pretty easy to repair mm-hmm. um so and you know i recommend whatever product you own that you go buy on a regular basis and just even if it's a drive-by and just see how they're keeping up the the property how they're keeping yeah. up the the landscaping, the yard, the house. I mean, it's your investment and nobody's going to pay attention to the investment as much as you will. So, yeah. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. Um, as you talk about the different loan products that are available for, for people to, to invest with, what, what are some of the main ones you work with? You'd mentioned a small business association loan or something like that. Uh, what are some of them that are available? And then like, what are, what are the differences between them? What, who, what would work for one person versus another? Well, the, the, the Small Business Administration loan um, is a great product if you're an owner-user-occupier. That's how okay. they okay. Term, the terminology that they look at. Uh, so that's, like I said, if you buy a 10,000-square-foot building, as long as you're leasing 51% of it or occupying 51% of it, excuse me, then you can lease out the remaining – 49% um, and you would qualify to for an, to look at an SBA loan which you know is an attractive uh, loan if you only had to put 10 or 15% down versus 25 to 30% down for a conventional loan um, and you know I mean, there is people out there that are financially strong enough. Sometimes they can negotiate with banks on a conventional loan and get a 20, 20% down type product uh, loan, and, and that's great. But, you know, for an owner, user, occupier, the SBA is a really good, you know, tool to, you know, someone that's going to occupy the building and own it and then lease out a percentage of that building as well for income. And then with residential, you're looking at more FHA, you know, VA, you know, or there is, you know, regular conventional loans as well in residential. So, but when it comes into a multi-tenant residential or multi-family, I should say, then you're looking at more of a commercial type loan. 
And the rates are a little higher typically for commercial loans than they are for residential loans. Okay. But with an S with an SBA loan, the good thing that is attractive about an SBA loan is that typically what happens is when you go through a regular bank that that does service SBA loans and they get with the, the SBA loan is a federally backed loan for small businesses okay. offered through the Small Business Administration. So they offer a really competitive rate and then that they'll take a certain percentage, whether it be 50, 60, 70% of that loan. And then the bank will take the remaining smaller percent usually. And then they do, they blend the rate together to come up with a blended rate, which is still typically a, a very competitive rate. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, Right now, most of the commercial loans that we're de- seeing right now, and this could obviously change, are running anywhere from you know the high fours up to six or seven or eight percent, depending on what you know what you're approved for. Uh, whereas you go and purchase, and most commercial loans don't lock in for thirty years like a residential loan. You can go get a thirty-year fixed rate, you know, and those rates were, you know, they change daily and weekly as well. But you know, you, we've seen them go down as low as three to four percent, you know. Wow. And so that's so that's the difference in the two models. And so commercial is a little more risk they feel. This yep. is a little bit. Uh, they're gonna the rates are gonna be typically a little bit higher, but not extremely, um, unless the you know it's all factored in with the you know economy and um, you know what the LIBOR rate is and all, all those things and um, they come into factor. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I was curious to know if there were. I mean, I was sure there were, but I wasn't. Um, I just didn't know what the what the options were for like federally backed because I just I know that those exist in residential, and that's mm-hmm. that's interesting. Um, do you do you tend to see Mike uh, a lot more because it just it it takes more money. Commercial just takes more money. The buildings are more expensive. Down payments are are higher, and so it can tend to be just a more expensive thing to get into. Because of that, do you see more partnerships um, that 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 you like that come to the table people that are like pooling their money and if so does that make your job as a as a broker someone bring a bringing a buyer to the table does that make your job like more difficult less difficult or the same um not typically i mean they're they're you know i have represented buying groups uh, before um typically uh a lot of times what you'll see in buying groups is one of those investors in the group is typically a real estate broker, you know, some okay, type. Okay. Not all not always, but somebody they he got in that group for a reason or they had some person get into the group because they had a real estate background. Right. Okay. But I have I have also represented people that, you know, there was a group of people that, you know, none of them were real estate, you know, uh, licensed brokers, but right. um it, it really doesn't complicate typically. I mean, you share the same information with the entire group or you give it to one and they share it with the rest of the group. Um you know, we don't, you know, I will, you know, I tell them if you have any questions, you know, email those to me or call me. We can discuss them, any concerns or questions. Uh, you know, if everybody wants to come out and be present, you know, that's great. Just, you know, try to get everybody here at one time. So we limit the you know amount of times so that we have to interrupt to show the property type of thing. I've, I've sold quite a few church properties, uh, schools, uh, 
you know, banks, uh, all kinds of different types of real estate. So typically when you get a group like a church group, you're going to have a board that, you know, you're going to have several people that are involved and they want to come sure. out and they want to touch the product, see it, smell it and see what, yep. you know, what they think about it. And then they go off and they have their meetings once all that information is given to them that you provided. And then they just make a decision from there. So once that decision is made and they, if they decide to move forward, the rest is just, you know, going under contract and then doing all of our inspections, environmental surveys, appraisals, all those things. And you, like I said, you have specific dates for each one of those items so that as you go through the contract and through those phases of that contract, if something just becomes awry and they say, hey, we just can't live with this, you know, then we have to go to the back to the seller and say we have an inspection objection issue here and we put that in writing. And if they won't cure that, that issue or are willing to discuss it and come up with a resolution, then you have the option to completely kill the contract, pull out of the contract. Okay. Yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and that part's very similar to residential. I mean, same thing. Sure. Sure. Yep. Yep. I can see that. Um, now as you see people getting, uh, getting involved in commercial real estate, whether they be new or, um, experienced as a group or individual, what, what do you see? Um, well, let me ask it this way. Let me ask for new people specifically, people may be buying their first property or one of their first and they don't, they're not extremely, experienced um, investing in real estate, what is a common mistake you see newer people make? Um, you had mentioned kind of getting out of the box of what you're able to afford. You mentioned that. What What are some of those main things you see that um, people are making more commonly, the mistakes as they're newer? Well, I mean, like I said, to begin with, it's always better to hire a professional. Yep. Um, especially if somebody else is paying their fee, why wouldn't you? Sure, um, sure. And if you've if you've done your homework properly and you've checked that that those individuals out to and maybe like I said, even had some, you know, one on one, you know, meetings with them to you know to ask them specific questions and how they're going to represent you and what what are they going to do for you? Are they going to go out and do get sales comps and and are they going to you know check the area and tell you uh, any concerns of you know from the building? Is it you know is there any do they see anything off the top of their head that is concerning to them? Or they know about the particular history of that that building or property? Um, and so I I've seen people um, and and I've I've seen it happen and I've actually if I see something going awry I I, I step in and I tell them even if I'm not representing that other side and, and they're just representing themselves, I have to tell them, look, you know, and every state's a little bit different, but in the state of Colorado, it's, there's only a few states that I'm aware of that will allow what we call a transaction broker, which means you, if I have a listing that I'm representing the seller on and then some buyer comes and then says, I don't have a broker uh, is that a problem? And I say, well, I can step into a transaction broker role, which means that then I'm not representing either side. I'm just presenting the facts okay. to each party and making sure that everyone, that all the facts are there. And if someone's, you know, honest, which they should be, then you just, there shouldn't be a problem. Uh, right. It's when it's when information is being withheld, it becomes a, a li liability issue for the brokers and the parties that are not disclosing things. Um, <clears throat> but I have seen situations where, you know, 
other brokers were buying the the property or someone in their family. And, you know, I had to, you know, I try to make sure that I stay on top of things for them, not just for my client, but for them as well, because the smoother the transaction goes, the better it is for everyone. And my policy has always been honesty is the best policy. So if I, if I know something, I'm disclosing it. Mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and, and if you don't, you know, you, you're subjecting yourself to some severe liability potentially. So, sure, sure. um, but I have seen situations like that, but I, I highly recommend that people hire a professional um, because that's what they do for a living, you know, yeah. um, and that's their ex- area of expertise and they are licensed to do that. Yeah. And so I see the the most problems come in when people don't have good representation and they're trying to represent themselves. And, um, that's usually where I see issues come into play. Um, but I can tell you that typically about 85% of the sales transactions I do 80, maybe 80% somewhere's right in there. Um, I, I am usually a transaction broker and I don't have a problem with it. And I'm very upfront with both sides and tell them, and then I have to inform them, you know, and that's part of your leasing agreement with your client that says, hey, uh, I'm, I'm representing you unless there's another party that comes in as a purchaser okay. that doesn't have a broker and they want me to be slide into that transaction broker row. Like I said, there's not a whole lot of states that, that allow that uh, because they a lot of states feel like that's a conflict of interest. Hmm, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, that, 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 that makes a lot of sense to me that uh, to find the right representation, especially in an area like commercial real estate that can tend to be more complex, more complex and have just more to it, more moving parts, more things to consider, more deadlines to hit um, with maybe greater consequences if you don't do that the right way. So that um, I definitely hear that. Uh, what uh, so switching gears a little bit specifically from your um, commercial real estate specifically, what Mike, uh, looking back at your your entire real estate career, what are some of the things you know is is as listeners um, of this show tend to be uh, newer, uh, either newer and looking to get started in real estate period, or um, are in one area of real estate, maybe they're very experienced, but they're looking to learn uh, new ways uh, of, of new strategies, new approaches, different things. And they're learners a lot of the time. They're anxious to learn. What's something that you've done, Mike, in your career um, that was one of the most valuable pieces of your real estate education? Was it a seminar you attended, a series of books you read? What was something that you specifically did that was um, really valuable in your education? Well, there's a lot of good information out there. There's a lot of bad information out there. Sure, um, sure. I, I, you know, coming from my background um, with construction, um, I had a. It was a, a lot easier for me when I went to the real estate school to get my license. You have to go through and have you know a certain amount of education, and then you have to take a state and a federal test, mm-hmm. uh, national national test, and so. Um, you know, and then they require us to have so many hours of continuing education every year. So, okay. um, you know, we, we are, and I think that's a great requirement because if you're going to be a licensed professional, sure. you should know your business and you should stay on it because things change, you know, rapidly in this industry. Um, I, I'd be careful. You know, there's a lot, like I said, there's some good information and there's some bad information and everybody has their own thought process on that. So I don't want to 
you know, um, say anything that, that, that's harmful to anyone, sure. but just be careful what you are reading. Cause there's, uh, there's a lot of do it yourself type books out there. And, and, you know, when you get into commercial real estate, I, I just really feel like unless you have a lot of experience and have purchased multiple properties, you should, even then, I think it's always wise to um, hire a licensed professional. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of things. You know, the internet is full of information. You just got to be able to discern what is good and bad information because, you know, just because somebody wrote it doesn't mean that it's always accurate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> definitely yeah but just like exploring uh exploring online looking for tools and resources maybe vetting those things you're saying is it would be helpful for people just to kind of dig in online but making sure you're finding the right the right uh, yeah. information yeah i mean there's like for commercial uh and residential they both have different types of sites available to look at properties mm-hmm. um i mean real uh, residential has bukus you know you get Sure. Zillow, you have Redfin, you have, I mean, every Craigslist. I mean, there's so many different mm-hmm. sites out there, um, and you know, that are available to people so that they can at least, uh, you know, go on the, the the multiple listing searches and find what products are available out there. With commercial, there's there's less of those sites available. Um, they're more geared, like I said, towards commercial. But you can at least go on and view some of those products and in advance to try to learn a little bit more. Um, you know, drive by some of these properties and see what what they look like. You know, um, and just do a drive by and, and take a look at them and yeah. see which product you think fits you best. I, 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 but once again, I think before any major decisions are made, I would definitely sit down with someone that has experience at finding the type of properties that you're looking to purchase or invest in, and 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 give you some guidance on that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I think that's really good insight. Uh, if so, let me let me switch gears again to ask you about um, looking forward uh, and you and your in your business. Uh, if you look ahead one year uh, from now and uh, you know setting your goals or or things that you're just looking forward to, looking to accomplish. Where do you want to be, Mike, in in one year from now uh, in your real estate journey and business? Um, yeah, where do you want to be? What are some goals you've set or things you want to do? Well, you know, I'm actively involved in real estate. Um, always, you know, I have clients that are call me and, you know, want my opinion on something or they want to know, Hey, is this a good time to sell or mm-hmm. is it a good time to buy and what's available out there? Um, so I, I'm always eager to help them because they've been faithful clients and, have trusted me with their, you know, with their confidence. Um, so I, I will continue to do that. I personally own investment, commercial investment properties as well. So it's, you know, it's good to keep your finger on the market and mm-hmm. uh, get a pulse of what the market's constantly doing, as well as I'm looking for properties all the time. So if I see something that, uh, you know, the market's, you know, at the price range that I want right now, it's just very hard to find product because yeah. there's very, it's very limited supply number one and number two the prices are a little bit higher than where i want to be i like to go you know my particular is you know expertise is going in and finding a piece of property that maybe has a few little issues but you know maybe 
other people might be scared of it, but with my background, I'm able to say, well, that's really not a big deal. If we do this, that, and this, then right, you know, we can right. get this property up to speed and get it at a discounted price uh, type thing. So, you know, I that's kind of I'm, – I'm always – you know, looking. So there's, yeah. you know, I, but I do think it's important, especially for people that are starting in the uh, industry uh, or investment portion of real estate that they do set goals and they set realistic ones. Sure. Um, and like I said, sometimes, you know, in commercial, I mean, I, one of my first buildings that I purchased was like a $300,000 building and it was a commercial building and mm -hmm. I made some improvements in it. I leased it out for three or four years and then one of my tenants wanted to buy it. So hmm. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll sell it to you. And we agreed on a price and I went on to another property. You know, yep, I, yep. the one thing I tell people is you cannot, don't let emotions control your actions in real estate. Um, don't get emotionally attached to real estate. And I find that that is probably a little more common in residential than commercial. Um, but if you're, in, if it's from an investment standpoint that you're purchasing the property, um, you know, don't, don't get emotionally attached. Now I, I have several properties that I've had for a long time and I, my plan is to hold on to them and keep them and, they produce, you know, good solid income. And, mm -hmm. you know, once you get your debt to equity structure down to, you know, where, you know, it's a very attractive model, um, your goal is to eventually maybe retire and, and live off of that income. Yeah. Uh, everybody's goals are different. You know, everybody's goals are different where they're at in their life, where they want to go. Uh, there's a, ton of different ways that you know you can look at things and one thing i do want to go back brandon and correct because i kind of uh made a uh wrong statement was about when you were asking about the cap rate mm -hmm. the cap rate return i just want to make sure that i clarify this or i don't want to confuse people yeah and so if you have a property that you know you figure your total income for annually for you add your taxes and insurance to it and then i mean you deduct the taxes and insurance uh well you keep to it, you add the taxes and insurance, it, uh, deduct it from the income, then mm -hmm, that tells mm -hmm. you, okay, here's my here's my bottom line income because taxes and insurance are actually an expense. So okay, once you come yep. up with that, the income uh, amount minus the taxes and insurance, then you take that number and you divide it by the sales price that you paid for the property. And that will tell you what the percentage of return is on that investment. Okay. Does that yeah. make sense? It totally does. Yep. Okay. Yep. Definitely. So I I don't think I was very good at explaining that a while ago. <laughs> so I just need to make sure people understand it because it can be a little confusing. So sure, sure. Um, no, that makes sense the way you just clarified for sure. Okay. Um, let me let me ask a final question to you here. So if um you know you've been doing this for a while, uh, thirty years is the note I took here. So it's you have a lot yep. of experience, and if you could. You know, along along that journey, you've I can't even imagine how much you've learned, all the things you've seen. Um, if you could go back to the thirty year old, thirty years ago version of yourself, um, and tell yourself one thing that would save yourself the most trouble over uh, the next thirty years of your real estate career, uh, what do you think that thing would be that would just save you the most trouble that you've learned along the way? Um, I really, I really can't say, I mean, I, because I've been involved with real estate 
forever. I started mm-hmm. slow. I started slow. So I tried to do things. So there was times I, I had to hold myself back um, mm-hmm. and say, you mm-hmm. know, I'm, I'm, I'm not ready to go into that bigger property right now or, That's good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, type of thing. But um, I, the only regret I have is that I didn't start sooner. You know, because I I think as long as you're not being stretched financially or strapped financially to invest, it just makes sense to invest in real estate. Uh, Everyone has their own different tolerance of risk factor. I I totally get that. And I tell people all the time, if this is going to strap you, don't do it. Yep. Um, yep. you know, and I, I, you know, I've, I've actually told people, I, I don't think this is a good purchase for you. And here's sure. why, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because I want that my whole thing with helping people is I want that to be a long-term relationship and I want there to be sure. a trust factor and them to have confidence in me and that they know that if I see something that just isn't a good fit, that I'm going to tell them that. Yeah. And, um, yep. you know, unfortunately, I can't say that for th- that they're going to s- see that all the time out there. Sure, but, sure. Um, you know, it, that is really important. Knowing when to when the deal is is a good deal for you and the right deal for you and the right investment for you. And this mm-hmm. is where it gets back to finding that person that, you know, has the experience level that can help guide you through that process. And, yep. Yep. and, and typically most of the time, the banks are not going to let you go out and do something crazy anyway. So sure. Sure. <laughs> they're yep. going to say, Hey, you know, we just feel like you're trying to stretch yourself a little bit here too much or, you know, you know, I've actually had clients that their banks were dying to, to loan them more money. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, they were the ones that were holding back and they'd come to me and said, man, my, you know, my financial advisor and my banker says I, I should be more, a little, buy some more real estate. I need to get a little heavier in real estate. And, you know, everyone that has, you know, had some, any kind of financial consultation with a financial advisor or something like that. They, everyone talks about the financial will and how much you should have in this, you know, stocks or, you know, real estate and different type of investments. And, Mm -hmm. and I think that those are all good things to consider. And, um, you know, I, I really went after it, you know, uh, started trying to learn as much as I could. And I learned, you know, from experience um, that um, I would say probably, you know, don't overlook what the, the, the key factor of what kind of condition the property is in and how much you're going to, it's going to take to get it up to speed. If there is yeah. some, you know, quite, if there is a lot of deferred maintenance issues, don't, don't act like that's not there because it's real and it's there mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you can't, you can't just ignore that uh, because those items seem to multiply over a period of time. It can sure. add up pretty quick. Sure. Yep. And, and again, I can imagine with, Commercial real estate, uh, it just feels like things in general are uh, can be more expensive. Like the numbers are just larger, and so consequences can be larger if you're if you don't plan for the expenses. Um, Next, absolutely. Yeah. You know, when you the key expenses on commercial properties is the roof, the structure, and the mechanical systems. I mean, okay. all those are very key. And you know, structurally, if you don't have a good foundation, you're in trouble. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and the roofs, you know, all those things cost uh, a lot of money. The other thing that I think people make mistakes doing is they'll undervalue and the insurance companies are getting better about not allowing this to happen. Uh, but I have seen people 
go in and, and insure their properties. Well, I call it under insuring your property. And because, you know, hailstorms are real, hurricanes are real, tornadoes mm-hmm. are real. Mm-hmm. And if something is, you know, you know, an act, you know, even if it's the act of God or, you know, uh, out of your control, when something happens with a hurricane or a storm, you want to make sure that your property is being adequately protected. Yeah. Uh, so don't be penny wise and dollar foolish and try to, say, try to save a couple, two or three, four hundred thousand bucks a year or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Difference, you know, when you should be making absolute sure that you're insuring your property for what the true replacement costs are going to be um yeah. and insurance companies are really getting wise to that and mm-hmm. um you know there's been a lot of litigation <laughs> in regards to that in colorado we've had in the last four five six years we've had a tremendous amount of hell storms and now it's the hell wind damage uh deductibles have gone through the roof oh wow uh, Insurance policies have risen because of it. Um, it's no different than where you're located in Florida. Sure. Hurricanes, you know, everybody knows if they move to Florida, there's a risk that, you yep. know, and there's there's probably, you know, it's, it's maybe tough in some areas to get insurance on, on properties. So, yep. Yep. Uh, but that, that's another mistake I, I do see a lot of people making is under okay. under insuring their properties. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh- yeah, all really, really good perspective, uh, Mike. I really appreciate you sharing. I um, I'm looking through, and I don't I don't have any other questions here for you. Um, is there any uh, any other topic or thing that you wanted to add? Um, if you're not comfortable, like I said, even if your broker may not, if you do hire a broker uh, mm-hmm. to help you, whether it's residential, commercial, whatever kind of real estate investment you're doing, you know, there's there's good skilled craftsmen that are licensed that if you're you really want to make sure you're getting a good handle on things don't be afraid to call them and have them come take a look at uh, you know the roof or structure because that like i said those those are key uh things that um you need to take into consideration and um you also you know i i tell people that they should also keep uh, money set aside for emergency situations that when you're doing your budget annually, you should be doing a budget, whether it's a duplex or fourplex or a multi-tenant industrial building or a huge single-tenant industri- uh, commercial building, you know, uh, or an office building, whatever it may be. It's always wise to have, a, you know, a reserve fund available and, mm-hmm. I, I think that's the, uh, a problem too. I, I've seen people uh, not do that, and then you know the unexpected happens, and you know they need to replace a boiler system or an HVAC system, and it's going to cost them you know a lot of money, and they they don't have it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I tell people, you know, I, I highly recommend that you keep at least a year's worth of mortgage payments. You know, it, maybe you can't start out there but sure work work towards it you know an emergency situation fund you know uh, mm-hmm. so that if something goes wrong here we are dealing with covid right now a lot of people lost their jobs right mm-hmm. uh, no one ever thought we'd be faced with a situation like this so sure. i'm a real proponent on it. i tell all my clients hey don't think that every day is going to be you know the same you know sure. expect plan for the unexpected and, and that money's yours. It's just there, but be diligent to, if you don't have it up front, then keep adding to that fund and save up for those times because, 
who knows, you know, what you could be lurking around the corner, you know, whether yep. it be something that uh, a component that fails in the property or a system that fails, or here we are with a, a situation no one ever thought of. And there's yep. a lot, of, a lot of tenants right now that are having us struggling to pay their, 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 their leases and rent. So yep. uh, I think you have to, if you're going to be a smart investor, then that is one of the key things that, I've a model that I've always, you know, taken very seriously. And I think it's very important so that, you know, I know back in the early days of my real estate career, um, you know, there was a lot of people that were, you know, out buying land on um, speculation for, you know, certain areas of town were going to boom and they bought all, they got very heavily leveraged on mm -hmm. land and properties. And then the economy went to the tubes mm -hmm. and here they were uh, trying to make payments on dirt that had no asset on it. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of them developers, they went under because of that. Wow. Mm -hmm. So you just have to really, you know, be smart about what you do, you know, yep. just like, you know, it's your money, but, um, I mean, it's the same business principles that you should be using for your personal, uh, budget as well. I mean, you never know you save up for the, the rough times and right. when those come around, you're prepared for them. Yep. Yep. I think that's always sound advice to make sure there's money stored away for things that are unexpected for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. Well, uh, Mike, that was uh, really, really invaluable. Everything you shared, I think was really helpful and a really solid perspective backed by a lot of, a lot of experience. So that's exactly what we're looking for in the show. And I really appreciate you taking the time. It was my pleasure. And uh, I appreciate you having me on. If there's Definitely. anything I can do, let me know. I'll be glad to help. Thanks so much, Mike. Yeah. Let's uh, if, if there is anybody who, uh, heard and has some more more questions maybe they're looking to get involved maybe they're in your area of colorado there and and want to call and get your perspective and maybe work with you how can they get a hold of you um i'm you know it's easy my my uh website is re4 the number four business.com okay um and my name is mike stewart and my uh phone number is listed on my site and Great. i have listings on there people can view and um you know if they just have questions and concerns and maybe they you know like i said um i don't know if i said this earlier but there is no dumb question the the only dumb question is the one you don't ask and so you know, no one expects you to be a professional that's the other mistake that i see people sometimes make is that they mm. they don't want to admit what they don't know and sure. you know they need to they need to say i'm not sure i understand this great let's let's sit down and talk about it let's make sure that you have a comfort level and if i didn't explain it good enough tell me i didn't and, sure. and i'll go sure. through it again you know contracts are another thing a lot of times people just rush through those contracts and everyone's shaking their head yes yes but inside they're really saying no no i have no clue what the, that's as clear as mud mm -hmm. and so i think that's extremely important to, that you make sure that whoever is representing you that they take the time to go through that contract that is a legal document that you're signing mm -hmm. and agreeing mm -hmm. to and so you really need to understand what you're signing and agreeing to and committing yourself to mm -hmm. and so i go probably a little more in depth with it uh than some people 
um, but I feel like it is extremely important and I want them to understand. And if they don't understand, I tell them, please, if you have any questions, let me know. Um, right. e- email me, call me. We'll go over a certain, I don't want you to sign anything. We'll go over what specific question you have or some item maybe that's bothering you that you just don't seem to understand uh, or grasp. And I think it's extremely important for people to have someone that they, if they're going to rely on somebody, they need to be able to rely on them and mm-hmm, explain mm-hmm. to them. So there is no dumb questions, you know? Um, and, you know, I, I don't, I tell people all the time, I have years of experience, but um, things change rapidly in our industry. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, that's why we have to go to continue education, you know, hours and hours uh, each year because Mm -hmm. the, the, the state wants to make sure that you are. Uh, qualified to represent people and to to help sure. them through this process. So sure. Well, that that's that sounds good. I mean, it sounds like for all the dumb questions, reach out to you. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, and if uh, I don't have the answer, I can tell you, I can get my fingers on it pretty quick. But, that sounds uh, good. So re4business.com <laughs> and people can find you. That's that's great. Um, well, thanks again, Mike. I really appreciate your time tonight. Um, and you have a good one. Okay. All right. Thanks, Brandon. Take Thank care. Bye bye. If you guys enjoy the show, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. That actually helps a lot to get the podcast out there as people are looking for helpful real estate investing resources online. You can also like our Facebook page to keep up to date with new episodes as they publish. And don't forget to subscribe through whatever podcast player that you use. If you have questions about a specific topic that we covered, or if you have a suggestion about another area that you'd like to see me dig into, or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, please reach out. I'd love to get in touch. You can email me at brandon at realestatefortherestofus.com. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. One show at a time, we'll work to make real estate investing accessible for the rest of us.